It's Sunday, July 26th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, Major League Baseball has announced a new playoff format for 2020, where 16 of the 30 teams qualify for the postseason. The 2020 season begins, and Black Lives Matter is a central focus of the pregame ceremonies. The Dodgers make Mookie Betts a very rich man, and the Toronto Blue Jays will be playing their home games in Buffalo, New York. Tom and I introduce our St. Louis Cardinals correspondent, Lucas Smith. Mike Trout opts in while Michael Kopech opts out, and J-Lo and A-Rod are still vying to own the Mets. We'll react to the Cubs' first two games of the season, and on our popcorn segment, we'll be doing the 1961 classic West Side Story. All right, man, how you doing? Well, I'm happier than a unicorn eating cake on a rainbow. <laughs> I'm getting back to work next week. My, my school district's going to be doing uh, distance learning all the way up until October 12th, and then they're going to probably work the kids in slowly. So, well, What does that mean, distance learning? Distance is, learning, is it, well, I, I, it means I'm going to be at a distance. I'm, I'm going to be in front of a computer screen and making assignments and giving instruction and it's all. Have, haven't you been doing that? Isn't that been the way it's been for the last three or four? How is that different? Well, it's it's different in that now this is something that is planned, as opposed to we're just sort of uh, flying the plane while we're building it, you know, so to speak. Now we should actually have a plane to fly. But uh, I, I can tell you that if I was a child today, I would do everything I could to get away from having to participate in this process. Yeah. In other words, not having the social in-person uh, part of this, I, I don't, you know, I, my hat's off to you because I'm thinking it's got to be very difficult to try to complete the task of teaching when the kids are, um, let's just say, distracted. Yeah, they are. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you right there for a second. I'm gonna ask Lucas to turn on his mic because uh, Lucas Smith is our new correspondent on the St. Louis Cardinals. He's gonna be talking to us about things that have to do with the St. Louis Cardinals, but he is a student at the University of Missouri, and I wanted to ask him what he thought of this whole distance learning thing, because it affects you directly. You're still a student who has to deal with this. Yeah, it was definitely a shock whenever things first came on, but I, think it, I mean, it was just uh, an adjustment that everybody has to make, so I think that Mizzou hasn't made any formal announcements yet for their fall, uh, but it's just one of those adjustments that everybody has to make, but it's nice that you guys have a, a planned plan to go on after this but you're still you're paying tuition you're paying tuition for this aren't you i mean is that a little frustrating yeah it can be frustrating i think that with me not living in the dorms i don't have to pay that part of it so it's not like i'm losing out on that uh, i think i'm still good in the education that i'm paying for so for me it's really not that big of an issue in terms of payments okay well that's good to know all right did you guys see uh dr anthony fauci throw out the first pitch at the washington nationals game I did. I did. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the worst throw ever. <laughs> and, and I'm sure maybe it wasn't maybe, but maybe for medical doctors in the, in the, yeah. the grouping of medical doctors, I'm sure he's in the top five, he, you know, but I will say this as an older guy. Yeah. You know, he's in his seventies. No, he's in, in his eighties. He's in his eighties yeah. or whatever his age is. Yeah. I know now I'm, I'm in my early 60s, and if I tried to throw a baseball right now, my arm would be gone for like seven or eight days. Yeah. So 
I got to give him credit that he actually could make the throw. Um, well, did, so. have you have you heard the jokes on Facebook? That uh, he threw, no, no. The reason why he threw it so badly is because he didn't want anybody to catch anything. You know. Ah, got um, it. Got terrible. It. No worries there. So I I just wanted to kind of bring up the fact that um, the NHL has added a new franchise in the great city of Seattle. Which, by the way, if you haven't been there, you should go. Rains all the time. Bring bring an umbrella. Um, but the new team is the Seattle Kraken, which really? is a Kraken. And I and so immediately I'm like, what is a Kraken? And a Kraken is like a mythological octopus. Sea monster. Um, yeah, kind of a yeah, exactly a sea monster. Yeah, yeah. So they've already got a new little place where they're going to play. It's it's at the Crack House. That's the <laughs> That's going to be the new name of it. Uh, but when you look at the NHL, almost every team ends in an S. Yes. There's a couple correct. that don't. The Lightning yeah. don't. The Avalanche yeah. don't. There's a couple that don't. But most of them, it's just weird. It's the Seattle Kraken. What do you think about that? I like it. I like it. I think it's fun. I think it, it speaks well of Seattle. You know what I mean? It, it, it It's good. It, it's sort of symbolic of the Seattle area, which is kind of new cutting edge or whatever they have their own style you know what i mean i, I like it i don't know i, I yeah. I'm, I'm into it i can see a big kraken with a bunch of hockey sticks you know what i mean it's, it's, <laughs> I, I just see a lot of jokes coming up about that name that's oh, all. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. anytime you can kind of riff on a name then it's a good name that's a good nickname all right so what's so going on around the league leo well uh, well okay the season began and there have already been two games played by just about every team i think that's the case and uh, on the day that they opened, basically, this was uh, Friday or Thursday, Major yeah. League Baseball announced a new expanded playoff format. Now, we were yeah. ready to go into this show and talk about who's going to win, you know, the Central, the, the, the East, the West, and so on and so forth. But now um, we're going to have this expanded format where two teams from each division will make playoffs. Teams one and two, the teams who finished first and second, in addition Within each league, there'll be an, uh, an additional two wildcard teams. So that's eight teams total who will be making the playoffs. And uh, it completely... In each league. In each the league. whole playoff picture, you know, uh, up in the air. Yeah. So, you know, I think that what we want to do today, because we were prepared to pick our division winners, let's pick who we think will make the playoffs in each league. And um, yeah. let's start yeah. with the American League. Um, yeah. Give me your first two teams, your top two teams for the AL East. Well, I'm only, I only have two teams going to the playoffs from the AL East. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. So yeah. uh, Tampa Bay and New York Yankees. But is that how you predict they'll finish, one and two? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. All right. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm the same way. It, it, the Yankees and the Rays are the class of that division. Toronto could surprise. Boston doesn't have enough pitching, but – the Rays and the Yankees, I, I think the Rays are really, really deep. They have strong pitching. Their pitching is at least as good as the Yankees. I think that right. they could win that division easily. All right, AL Central, I'm going to go with the Twins and the Indians. Do you agree? Kind of. I, I, I picked three teams out of the uh, AL Central. Minnesota, um, the White Sox second, and then Cleveland. Um so, so you, you say the White Sox will be the second place team, I guess. Well, all yeah, right. Yes, I do. All right. All right. Look, I'm going Indians, Twins, and then I say the White Sox would make the, the wild card. All right. The AL West, we have um, – go ahead. Who did you pick? 
I like Oakland, the Angels, and then Houston. Ooh, but they'll wow. the, all three all three will make the playoffs. But is that your predicted order of finish? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Really? Houston finishes. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing: they're cheaters. I want them to finish third. That's the bottom <laughs> okay. line. I have the A's and the Astros one and two, and then my wild cards for the American League are the Angels and the White Sox. All right. Um, actually, Lucas, did you want to weigh in on this? Uh, did you have any? Yeah, who do you like, Lucas? Who do you like in the American League? American League, I really like the Blue Jays. I, I would pick three teams from the East. I think that the Blue Jays can surprise some people. I really like their their young core of Bijou and uh, Guerrero Jr. I saw a stat yesterday. They had, for the first time in history, every starting infielder was the son of a former major league player. So I think they just got a lot of talent on their teams. But I think three from the East and three from the Central. I think the Twins, uh, White Sox, and Indians all make it. And then the West, I think, is a toss-up. As much as I don't like them, I think the Astros do finish first. And then uh, I picked the uh, Athletics to finish second. So, so that that was an interesting observation on the Blue Jays because I think the Blue Jays, because they don't have a home, no, they don't so have the home. fact That's that they don't really have a home could make them the Cinderella team this year uh, in all of baseball. Really, yeah. <laughs> think about it. They don't they're, have a home. They're sort of the wayward. Uh, so, shot. so when they put the when they put those cardboard cutouts in all the stadiums. In Buffalo, they're all going to be like Canadians. <laughs> all right, so who all do you right. like in the National League East? All right, I'm going to start with uh, the Mets and the Nationals. I predict that they'll finish one and two in that division. I think the Mets, uh, short season with Cespedes back, I think they could be really good. I like three teams in the East, Atlanta, Washington, and then the Mets. Wow. They could they could get all four they could get four of their five teams the Phillies could be the the fourth wild card team or whatever the second wild card team the 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 East is a really strong division as is the NL Central uh, who do you have finishing there the uh, I like I like the Cincinnati Reds to win the division and Whoa. the Cubs to fi- and the Cubs to finish second and St Louis. Uh, it could be St. Louis or Chicago, but it's in that those two teams. I think Milwaukee just misses out on the playoffs. This is a really tough division, too. You know, the, the between the NL East and the NL Central, um, you've got a lot of teams that are going to be really fighting for those uh, two wild card slots. And it'll be interesting to see where they come from. Uh, yeah. Then finally, I'm going to go with the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL West. Um, do you agree? Uh, yes, I mean, but if you have to pick a second team, yes, San Diego. Yeah. The Dodgers, this is one of those disproportionate years where the Dodgers will win 10 or 15 games more than the second-place team. And so does a second-place team make the playoffs? That's the only question no, I there, have. There, a second-place t- team will make the playoffs in the West, but it's a question of it's, you know, the rest of that division is right, just right. ordinary. What do you That's think? That's true. What's, uh, what's your thought? Uh, I agree. I, I'm going to go with Tom in the NL East. I got uh, Atlanta, Washington, and then New York. I just think that uh, Atlanta still is the prime of that division with their uh, finish last year. I got three in the Central. I think it's, it's a toss-up between Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Chicago. I think the, the Pirates are the only team in that division that has no shot. So that, yeah. that Central yeah. division is really wide open. And then, yeah, yep. the, the NL West is really only the San Diego and Los Angeles. The Dodgers are... Head and horses above the rest. There's yeah, no question. Really. 
No, I, yeah, I, and it'll be it'll be Cincinnati over the White Sox in the World Series. Just kidding. Ooh. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That yeah, would be, but this is a crazy year. Get ready this for is crazy, a crazy things. Year. You just got to And now, did you guys see all the pregame ceremonies for some of the opening day games? Yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was interesting. I mean, we saw in I think it was uh, New York or was it Washington? I'm sorry. It was Washington. I think every player on the field took a knee. You know, you had, uh, you know, you had, and they were holding this, I don't know, cloth, this long sort of cloth, this black piece of linen. And everybody on both teams was holding on to this long, long piece of cloth showing, I don't know, unity and support for the black community. I thought it was interesting. Um, You know, I'm going to be a little cynical here and, and say that, you know, Major League Baseball is a business. And Major League Baseball has to reflect the times in order for them to make money. And I, I, they're going to they're gonna show support for the Black Lives Matter movement because I think they feel like they want to make sure that more people who support Black Lives Matter aren't boycotting them versus the people who don't who are going to boycott them. There are more of the people who support Black Lives Matter in this country than do not support it. And I think that's why they're openly sort of pushing this forward. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad they well, are. You're, you're right. That is a very cynical take on it. Uh, I prefer to think that after Colin Kaepernick um, started all of this, that nobody took him seriously. So much yeah. so he lost his job ultimately. But I, I, you know, I'll make you the argument that his play was in decline as well. But he ultimately lost his job over it. And I think entities, not just sports, but I think you're going to start seeing it permeate into other parts of of life as well. So, for example, on Saturday, uh, I got an email from my company saying that every 25th day of the month, there will be eight minutes and 49 uh, seconds of silence at the company um, in support of what happened to George Floyd and the Black Lives uh, Movement, uh, period. And so... I I think this is a normal. Pro- it should have happened immediately when when Colin Kaepernick did it, but of course it didn't. And so I just think this is kind of a makeup call to a certain extent across all entities of the fact that they are basically in support of what uh, the Black Lives Movement is all about. And so anybody that like right now there's an issue where there's a, a group of people on Twitter who are boycotting baseball. Right. Because it's not all lives matter. And it's just that's obviously they don't understand what what black lives matter means. But, you know, we've talked about this before. We won't really cover it now. But the reality is those people want to leave supporting baseball. I say good riddance to them. Yeah, that's right. And and Christine Brennan had a great piece in USA Today about this. And if people are going to boycott baseball over players kneeling during the national anthem, Correct. Then you know, don't let the don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. You know, you weren't real fans to begin with. So yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 in Cincinnati, four players, including Joey Votto, took a knee during the national anthem at their at the, at a Reds exhibition game. And you know, I grew up in Cincinnati. I have a lot of friends there. And and on yep. Facebook, I'm seeing all these people who are saying, oh, "That's it." Reds are done. I'm done with the Reds. No more watching the Reds. I can't stand people kneeling for the flag. And I'm like, what are you, goofy? You know, you still think it's about disrespecting the flag and our troops? 
I mean, but, but you know, but Leo, we've said this before. I've traveled to Cincinnati many times in my life, and I've always seen uh, examples of racism there. Always on every single time I've ever been there. So I'm not really shocked by by that. Well, no. I, I, I'm a little shocked because the way I look at it is how do you deny yourself something that could provide you pleasure during a very troubled time, you know, because you you have this imagined sort of, in, you, you, you perceive an imagined insult against the flag and soldiers who've died in combat. It, it just doesn't make any sense. These people are tone de- they're tone deaf to racism and it's it's just it is what it is. Now now I want to I want to switch over to Lucas here on this one because Lucas you you live in you live in central Illinois. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Is it normal or is it Springfield or is it Bloomington? Uh, Bloomington normal. Yep. Bloomington normal. So I mean and then you're also a Cardinal fan. Do you get a sense of do you get a sense of what Cardinal fans and also people who live in central Illinois sort of think about all this? From what I've seen, it's been mostly in support of uh, the players taking, you know, these stances on Black Lives Matter. I mean, for the Cardinals' sake, it's Jack Flaherty has been their, – their, their ace has been big yeah. on this. He had Black Lives he Matter sure stenciled in um, behind the mound. All the players, I think they wore I Can't Breathe shirts or Black Lives Matter shirts during warm-ups on their opening day. So I think that for the most part, what I've seen, what I've heard, it's all been in support of it. I haven't really heard too much opposition in terms of Cardinal fans and uh, people that I know in central Illinois. So well, that's, that's, good, good, that's to good to hear, actually. I think the Cardinals, I think the Cardinal fan base has always been, I think, supportive of, of black players because they've had black players for a long time. They've had great black players. Some of the greatest black players. Yeah, the, I, mean, I mean, I was Little there. Rock comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> no, Bob Gibson comes to mind. That's Bob true. Gibson was one of the greatest pitchers ever. And Ozzie Smith and Terry Pendleton, yep, yep. And Willie McGee, and so on and so forth. I mean, they have a long history of African-American players. And I think that as a fan base, I think this is something that they would be more open to supporting. So I think that that's good. All right. So um, let's talk about Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts just yeah. signed a massive contract with the Dodgers. 12 years, $365 million. Now it's Two years longer than Mike Trout's contract, but but he's going to make $5 million more over the course of the deal. And I got this from Ken Gurnick from MLB.com. Um, I mean, does this make the Dodgers the powerhouse that uh, we all thought they'd be? Well, they were kind of the powerhouse before they got Mookie Betts. Now they have three MVPs on their team. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, um, I, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of intrigued by those final two years for only five million. Like you're paying, you're you're being paid like thirty-eight, forty million dollars a year until the last two years. No, just, no, 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 no. It's just the the amount of money over the course of the twelve years is five dollars, is five million dollars more than what. Okay, you know, gotcha, gotcha, so, gotcha, so, gotcha. So Trout gets three hundred sixty million for ten years. He gets three hundred sixty-five million for twelve. So it's a little bit of a you know you jog it a little bit on the average yearly sort of value. I'm a big fan of Mookie Betts. I mean, he stepped into the clubhouse at the beginning of the year and did that classic Kirk Gibson thing. You know, when Kirk Gibson gave that speech in 1988 to the Dodgers at the beginning of the year, yeah. he wasn't going to put up with any bullshit and throw those beepers. <laughs> they throw the beepers out, get rid of your Rolls Royces. You're either here to win or get out. And Betts basically, you know, the like the team was taking it back and taken aback by his position, but also kind of respectful that this guy's going to, He's got his own kangaroo court. 
Like he won't yeah. put up with people not giving a hundred percent because that's how he's hardwired, right? Yeah. So no, he and he's I, a great player. He really is. This, this may be one of those contracts that benefits both parties. As the business person in me thinks, I would never pay anybody uh, an athlete twelve years for anything. I'll give you a series of one-year contracts based on <laughs> the previous year's performance. But that's just me. Um, so anyway, maybe that's uh, how it should be. But uh, all right. So now we we we've already heard from Lucas today, but I want to yeah. formally introduce this young man who is a student at the University of Missouri. What year are you? What I'm going to be a junior. Going to be a junior this year, and and. Uh, Tom and I had a, had a question. How are your grades at this point, Lucas? <laughs> I just, wait a minute. I never asked about the grades. <laughs> yeah, could They're you send good. your transcript to us? You know, we'd really appreciate that. If but if uh, it on this show, I might have to rethink it. <laughs> yeah. Most people have already, it turns out. But, you know, primarily we talk about the Cubs. We talk about all of baseball, and we kind of have a focus on the Cubs, but we don't hear enough from fans of other teams about what's going on within their respective cities. And what's going on with the Cardinals is important to Cubs fans because they're our chief division rival. So maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown. Well, what do you think the Cardinals are going to do this year? Well, like we talked about earlier, the NL Central is the toughest division. So I think that they're going to beat up on each other. Cubs, Cardinals, Reds, Brewers, all of them. But yeah. Cardinals right now are one of, I think it's three teams I read this morning that are undefeated. Uh, one of their biggest question marks is the offense, and that shined yesterday in a 9-1 to win. Um, granted, you can say that they're playing the Pirates, the weakest team in the division, um, and yeah. that's fair. But um, Still you know, wins. Still counts. Yeah, know? I mean, really, you know, 2.7 wins per one win this season. Two wins goes a long way. Um, Jack Flaherty and uh, Adam Wainwright have impressed. I think that pitching is this team's strong suit, both starting and in the bullpen. Uh, they got a lot of depth uh, that can – they don't like Mike Schultz, the manager, doesn't like to use the term piggyback where they start or started for four and then another one for five, but they have that option if they need to. Uh, right. But their biggest question is the offense. They can't compete with the Cubs offensively, um, but the pitching is what's going to help them this year. Wow. So, wow, that's, yeah. so, Lucas, what about their defense? Because over the last five yeah. years, Leo and I have taken them to the woodshed about the fact that they were one of the most porous defensive teams in the National League. Have they gotten better there? They've gotten a lot better, especially under uh, Mike Schilt took over uh, the game before the All-Star break in 2018. And since then, they've actually been uh, close to the tops of the league defensively. Colton Wong won a gold glove at second base last year, and he made some yeah. uh, dazzling plays in exhibition games. Um, Paul DeYoung has improved immensely. He's an Illinois State grad, which is um, in town where, I'm, where I live at. He's improved. They're strong up the middle. I mean, they have Yadier Molina, who this might uh, disagree with you guys, but I think he's the best catcher in the league. Um, they have Paul DeYoung, Colton Wong, and Harrison Bader up the middle. Uh, say what you will about Bader's bat. His glove speaks for itself. So defensively, they've gotten much better. No, Bader will catch anything. He'll yeah. catch anything that's hit into the outfield. There's no question. I mean, the big problems I always had with the Cardinals in terms of defense is it, 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 it's Matt Carpenter. Or, or, you know, he's, he's just yep. – he's, he's terrible. I mean, when he's he would loved. play third and you'd watch him throw the ball across the infield, I mean, it was really bad. You know, oh, it was painful. And then there were times at first base where he would drop a ball that was thrown right to him. Um, so the D.A. helps him a lot, allows yeah. him to just hit. And Tommy Edmond, who I think is legit, can spray the ball over the yard at a switch hitter. It allows him to play third instead of Carpenter. Now, is is Carlos Martinez going to start or is he going to yep. be? In he, he is starting on Tuesday. It's his first start since 2018. They got a left hander from Korea, uh, Hong Won Kim. They call him KK. They're going to close. Uh, certain him as a closer 
Uh, he did not pitch well on Friday night, uh, but he did on Wednesday in an exhibition. Uh, granted, again, Royals and Pirates, uh, not two great teams, but um, results are results. So we'll see how that goes. Kim had a 13-year career in the KBO, and he's going to be closing now. But Martinez, what they talked about is that he did everything that he needed to do to get the starting job back. He impressed in spring training. He impressed in summer camp. He worked off this offseason as a starter, knowing he was going to vie for that fifth spot, and he earned it. So we'll start Tuesday against the Twins. Because that's always been a problem with Martinez, kind of his work ethic, yep. hasn't it been? Yeah. Sort of, I mean, oh, uh, he, absolutely. You know. I mean, behind Flaherty, he's probably got the second best stuff on the team. So it's just a matter of him to bear down mentally and get his mechanics in check. Wow. You know, it's it, it once again, it's very fortuitous for the Cardinals that this season you've got you've got no team that's really emerging as the as strongest team in the central. And I think the reds could win the division. That's saying something, if you know anything about the Cincinnati reds, but when I right. look at the Cardinals, first of all, Jack Flaherty is a, is a flipping stud. He's one of the best pitchers in the majors, but the rest of the rotation, almost all of them have question marks, including Wainwright Wainwright from time to time. One, one, if it just seems like in the, it, within certain parts of every season, there's an issue. Is Wainwright going to go on the short-term DL? He always comes back, but that impacts the team. Um, but for different reasons, uh, even you know, like is Dakota Hudson is really the third starter, right? It's not it's not Martinez or or uh, McCullis. Correct. Yep. Uh, Nicholas, yeah. 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 Every, every, you're right. Everyone has a question mark except for Flaherty. I think that Wainwright being able to start 31 games last year does say a lot about um, him. He actually made history yesterday in his win. He's now tied third all-time in wins in Cardinals history. Um, wow. And he wow. and, y- and Yadier Molina made history, too, with his 16th consecutive opening day. But the question marks, I think, will are lesser question marks in a 60-game season for the starters, I really think. Yeah. yeah I, Molina's a great catcher, but his best days are behind him. In the last couple of years, he's actually struggled with his arm throwing it. I think at the beginning of last year, Leo, he didn't throw out a hitter until like May. Everybody had, had no, run no, on yeah, him. No, so it was even longer than that. He, he was a yeah, long or, like, or whatever. And, but guys, the one person, the one person we haven't talked about is Goldschmidt. I mean, you still have Paul Goldschmidt. You know, that's that's a really if he has an explosive year, like maybe. He had a pretty decent year last year, but one of his classic years, the Cardinals could be in for – because anybody can win that division, I think. I don't think that yep. there's any team that stands out. No, absolutely. The thing with Goldschmidt, I was talking to Lee about this a little bit a week or so ago. Goldschmidt is notorious for slow starts. Even last year, he, he batted like 240 in the first half and 270-something in the second half with 18 home runs. So I think yeah. in a 16-game season with no first or second half, It'll be interesting to see which half shows up for Goldschmidt. If it's yeah, second, right. if it's second half Goldschmidt, Cardinals win the division. So what I want to do is, and and thank you very much for uh, your report, uh, Lucas. And we're going to move on to the uh, Houston Astros in an exhibition last week against the Kansas City Royals. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, and George Springer were all hit by pitches in the same game, and it just makes me think that we're getting a little payback for some of the cheating that goes back all the way to 2017. You know. one, one of the best parts of, of Oakland's opening day is they had cardboard cutouts of the Astros mascot, whatever that is, yeah. inside of a garbage can with a garbage can lid on top of, of, of the mascot. <laughs> I didn't all see in the, Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. So, and we've talked about this, it's going to be bad on the Asterix this year. 
Every yeah. stadium they go to, they're going to be dealt and meted out punishment once again. And the pitcher last night, I can't or whenever that was, on Twitter said, hey, the pitch has just got away from me. Yeah. Three times? No. <laughs> a pitcher gets away from you once, not three times. That's why you're a pitcher. Otherwise, yeah. you're, uh, so I, I think it's going to be more of the same for, for the Astros. I, I don't have any sympathy for them. I mean, I, I, you and I talked about it this year. If, if we ran the world, they wouldn't be eligible for the playoffs beyond yeah. beyond all the other penalties they've received. I would give them some real draconian like penalties like you're not or worse yet, cripple their farm system for like 10, 10 years or something that will make them be mired in mediocrity or worse for a period of time. That should be yeah. their penalty. Yeah. That really should. And but the thing is, like with, with the covid virus, though, I mean, the Astros get the biggest pass. You know, they really do. I mean, it, it just seems it all just so unimportant, you know, in because the they were going to be wearing masks do. anyways. That's why they were going to be wearing masks anyways to, to, to hide their shame in their faces when they walk in the town square. So they're not stoned to death. Well, I mean, you know, just as long as uh, the the crowd is socially distant, I, I you know, I'm fine with <laughs> yeah, that. Right, right, but, uh, right, right. All right. So now the Toronto. So what's going on with the Blue Jays? Yeah, the Blue Jays. Um, you know, the Canadian government obviously has told the Toronto Blue Jays that they can't play teams from the United States at uh, the Rogers Center. Uh, that the Canada is trying to control. Canada actually has a plan to control the virus, and they don't want any more outbreaks. So they've told Toronto that they're going to have to play their home games in the United States. And they've been looking for a home. And there was talk about them playing in Pittsburgh. There was talk about Manchester, New Hampshire. But it looks like they've settled for Buffalo, New York, at a place called Salem Field, which actually has a bit of uh, Major League history. And um, does this hurt or does it help the Blue Jays? You know, well, first of all, I'm glad I'm glad that Canada thinks of the U.S. as a leper colony, because <laughs> basically that's that's that, that's what they're saying. We don't we we don't want your kind over here. Uh, and uh, I was looking at the uh, NHL schedule, and uh, I don't know whether you guys know this, but all of the NHL games are like in three Canadian bubble stadiums. And, and once you enter the bubble, it's just like the NBA. You can't exit that bubble. You can't exit the bubble. So Canada's obviously doing something right when it comes to the COVID thing because they have a remarkably low um, right. infection, infection yeah. rate and death rate. I mean, their numbers are unbelievably low. Um, that being said, like we talked earlier, I think the Blue Jays are going to be taking advantage of the whole underdog thing this year. And you know, I, I might have to, like, start cheering for him a little bit. Well, it, it really could go two ways, you know, uh, because now you're talking about players who have homes in, in Toronto who have a certain level of comfort in their personal lives, and they won't be able to access that. I mean, they're going to be basically the entire season for, for Toronto will be on, will be like a road series. And that can, can, that can take a toll, I think, on a yeah. team. But, again, in a short season and where everything – is up in the air. They may be able to take that and use it as motivation. So, you know, it could help them ultimately. Um, I just wish, you know, again, I mean, if, if fans were there, it would make it completely different, but you know, I don't know. I, I I'm glad for Buffalo. Now Buffalo is going to get to see some major league baseball. And I think that that's a good thing 
But yeah. uh, I think in the end, it'll hurt the Blue Jays. They they won't. I don't know. I I I said that they would be one of the wild card teams, but uh, I I do think that this will not be good for them this year. So. Yeah. Well. So what about the the uh, the extra inning game that the oh, Angels yeah. and the A's played? Well, there's a new rule, as everybody knows, and that with every extra inning, uh, the the team begins the team the offensive team begins with a runner on second base. And uh, the first time this was sort of put into play was during an Angels A's game uh, out on the West Coast, and it ends when well, basically Shohei Otani had made the last out in the ninth inning. So he's the guy who has to run out and take the field and as the uh, runner on second. And he makes a massive base running blunder that uh, leads to the Angels basically not scoring a run that inning. And then in the bottom of the inning, uh, I think it's Matt Chapman walks them off with a grand slam. So we've seen our first runner at second in extra innings. And uh, we've seen our first sort of mistake associated with it. Um, and we've also we've also seen our first Joe Madden blown save. Yes, we have. We have. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I actually like this rule slightly. I, I, I'm I'm still going to reserve judgment for the whole season, but I think it's actually a good rule because it it immediately puts pressure on the defensive team as soon as the inning begins. You don't have to wait for any pressure to begin. You already have a runner at second that you need to try to stop from scoring. I think it should be it should make for some exciting baseball, you know. Yeah, you know, my my wife remarked that she noticed that the DH was in the National League, and yeah. she went out of her way to say immediately that she already liked it. And I tried to tell her, wait a minute, no, you don't understand. Pitchers yeah. hitting that, you know, the DH is an abomination. If I ran the world, I the first act I would do would be to get rid of the DH. Um, even before I solved world hunger, the DH has got to go. Uh, and she went out of her way to say, oh, no, it's better for baseball. So maybe that she's a, she's an accidental fan. Maybe that is something. Maybe baseball's onto something there, I guess. is what I'm Maybe saying. they are. Lucas, I, I know how you feel about the DH. I mean, you're a longtime Cardinal fan. You like seeing the hitters. You like seeing the pitchers hit. What do you think of this new second base rule? You lo- you're in favor of it? Second base rule. I'm kind of like human to hold off judgment. I think that it definitely does put pressure on the defense, but I, I'm, I don't know. I think I'm more of a traditionalist. I think if you're going to start an ending, extra innings or second base, why not start every inning with runner on second base? Um, so I'll, I'll hold off complete judgment until the end, but I, I veered towards not liking it. I love it. He's 20 years old and he's a traditionalist. I think that's yeah. great. <laughs> I, I, I just uh, well, but he's, he's, he's a hundred percent right about that. Ultimately, I think, you know, yeah. um, time will tell time will tell yeah yeah you're right so um i'm a little pissed off at uh, or i'm sorry white Sox fans you know i like the white yeah. Sox, but white Sox fans piss me off and i i guess it's probably a function of me spending entirely too much time on facebook but uh but you know white Sox fans are so funny because all the time they complain that they don't get enough attention in a city where the cubs play that the Cubs are always at the front, you know, they're always getting all the headlines and everybody wants to talk about the Cubs and always the White Sox are sort of the little sister. But then when the White Sox are good, they start going, oh, look at all these fair weather fans. These aren't real fans. They're all jumping on the bandwagon. And I'm yeah. just like, what? The, the pathology, the, the pathology of the White Sox fan is just insane. 
you know, I, I, they're, they're, they're like Trump supporters. They really are in the, in, the, in the irrational way that they approach being a baseball fan. Why, when your team is good, why do you get pissed off when people want to support them? Why does that make you angry? That, that I just doesn't. Because the, the White Sox fan, which is, uh, you know, historically a blue collar fan, is, is not unlike the fans of Pittsburgh, the fans of Detroit, the fans of Cleveland. Um, these are working class hero guys, and they take their baseball very seriously. I have to tell you, I've lived in this town for over 30 years, and I despise the White Sox because I grew up as a Tiger fan. And to be a Tiger fan is to hate the White Sox for different reasons than the my, yeah. my Cubs hate the White Sox. But I've had some pretty cool friends that were White Sox fans. And, and I, uh, you know, I have. And so they're very knowledgeable, but they're also, you know, they're ignorant about a lot of things, too. And, and I learned a long time ago not to wear Detroit Tiger gear into old Comiskey Park because I value my life. <laughs> I mean, my life is important. And, and uh, you know, it, it was at risk constantly. And so that kind of describe, and I'm not kidding, basically, when I was a younger person, people were always like, hey, let's kill the big Tiger fan. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, um, but part of me as a Tiger fan understands why a Sox fan is like that. What else are they going to root for? Think yeah. about it. But I mean, this one guy was complaining how he lived in Lakeview and it was 2005 and all the bars were full of people watching the, watching the White Sox in the World Series and how none of these people were fans or really cared about the White Sox. And I'm like, people like winners. What, yeah, is, what is everybody yeah. supposed to do? Just go right. home and watch Downton Abbey? Because Correct. you didn't watch, because you can't name all the, the starting lineup of the Southside Hitmen? Come on. Right. It's, it's just, I, I don't get it. You know, and I know. They're always bitching and they have this massive inferiority complex. I mean, they every do. fan base has their irrational fans. You know, the Cubs have their sort of pie in the sky. Oh, the Cubbies are going to win. And that can get a little annoying. You know, and the Cardinals also always complaining about something, you know, that somebody's got to be fired and they got to get rid of this guy and bring up the next guy at AAA. And there's always a kind of irrationality to every fan base. But but for some reason, for me, the White Sox fans are the ones that piss me off the most. So anyway. I, right. I don't disagree with you. So I, I was doing some research for the show earlier this week, and I was uh, reading this article um, on Jim Leland, the former manager of the Detroit Tigers um, and, Detroit and, and, and Florida Marlins, where he won a World Series. Um, and he proposed a suggestion to speed up the game of baseball. Okay. Uh, as, as we all know, baseball over the last 10 years has, has – People have argued that the game is too slow. It's become slower. And Leo and I have kind of tackled in the past how are ways that we can speed up the game. And uh, uh, Leland kind of gave me an idea that I thought, and I said, watch the game yesterday. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that is force the hitters to stay in the batter's box at the at-bat. You cannot get out and, and adjust your gloves. You cannot get out. And, and take the hat off and put it back on. You can't do any of that shit. You st when you're in the batter's box or and or you can use one timeout per side or something like that, give them a rule if they literally have to get out of the batter's box. But otherwise, once you enter the batter's box, you must stay there until the, until the, until the uh, play is decided, whether you get a hit or an out or whatever. 
And I and when I watched the game yesterday, I was like, you know what? This is annoying. Guys, you don't have to get out and, and adjust your gloves after in between every single pitch. It's just beyond maddening to me. And I think that they should look at, at, at that aspect. And it, I don't think it's been proposed, but what, when you watch a game today or whenever the next time you watch a game, check out how much time is wasted by hitters not staying in the batter's box. Let me get mm. off my double steal reinforced soapbox. I, turn I don't know. But, I mean, how do you enforce something like that? I mean, well, you could you could use an electronic fence. <laughs> Come on, get creative, Leo. Come on. Okay. Well, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, but baseball players are creatures of habit. I guess everybody is breaking habits. You know, in the in in the face of the COVID nineteen virus. You know, there's no spitting anymore, and, and so on and so forth. But I don't know. I, I, I think it would be hard to police is what I'm saying. I mean, what are you going to have a guy there with a stick who's just going to go, hey, hey, stay in the box, stay in the box. You know, it just the umpire is enough to worry about that it's going to be hard for somebody to really police that. Um, I mean, what are you going to do, find guys for doing it? I mean, what, what do you think about all this, Lucas? I completely agree. And in, in talking about how annoying that is, Skip Schumacher, old player for the Cardinals, so I, yeah. I love the player. Every – Pitch. He steps out, put his bats on his hip, and just literally undo his batting gloves and put it back on, basically doing nothing. So it was just super annoying. And in terms of policing it, I'm an umpire at, for high school sports. I'm a certified umpire in Missouri. That is actually a rule that Missouri enforces. Oh. At most, you can have one foot out the batter's box. And I think eventually you can penalize the batter with a strike call. Nobody ever does it, yeah. but it's just like a, a warning saying, hey, you've got to keep both feet in the box. Like, we're going to protect you. We're going to make sure the pitcher... Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, come on, keep, keep batter in the box. Let's go, you know, keep them moving. I think it's something you can absolutely do at the major league level. I completely agree. So you've been an umpire. How, how has that gone? Have there been any intense moments, especially from, uh, I think, parents? Yeah, parents seem to get worse the younger the kids are. Uh, yeah. It's a travel ball yeah. game type thing. But, um, no, it, it's easy money. Yeah, but every, every kid's an all-star, so you know how that goes. Right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, the, the parents telling you that you're holding their kid back from being in the major leagues, you know. But So what, we got to move on to the Chicago Cubs, Leo. Yeah. What happened when Hendricks took the mound uh, for the opener for the Cubs? Well, it was positively delightful. And I've got to tell you, David Ross looks like a genius for making <laughs> Cubs the ace. And, and, it, and it's just brilliant to watch this guy work quickly and work the corners mixing uh, speeds. He was brilliant. He pitched a complete game shutout, which is amazing in itself in the COVID-19 era, because nobody was going to be stretched out. We were talking about starting pitchers. We're we're seeing starting pitchers going only three, four, five innings, you know, and he goes nine, allows only three hits on 103 pitches. He's three pitches short of of throwing a Maddox. And, uh, and it was just unbelievable. I loved it. And I knew I was watching that game. There was no doubt in my mind that he would take the mound for the ninth inning. It was great. Well, have you heard the phrase uh, "necessity is the motherhood of invention"? Mm-mm. I have in, heard in that. The, in, in, in the case of the Cubs, it, they don't really have a choice besides making Hendricks the 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 ace. You know, Contreras is down. Lester's well, Lester's Lester. 
Um, you're really left with 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 Hugh Darvish, who we know isn't really quite back yet. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed that he starts pitching more consistently. Hendricks has been the most consistent pitcher over the last two or three seasons. And yes. so not surprised. But what I was surprised by was that performance by him. Not only yeah. was that a complete game, he's only got like one or two other complete games. He was in command Though I remember last year he pitched a game like that where it was a Maddox. He pitched yeah. a Maddox last year. Pitched an 87 so, pitch game shutout. When he's yeah. on, as they kind of demonstrated in that game, his pitches are hitting all four locations of the plate, uh, of, of surrounding the plate, and it was confusing the hell out of the hitters. They could not get set, uh, and he kept them off the whole game. I thought it was a, a brilliant game by Hendricks, and I don't think I don't think Rossi had to do anything except be on. Go out there in the ninth inning and give him a few seconds to breathe, you know. So, well, I think what's really interesting is that his changeup is so good that he's able to throw an 87 mile an hour fastball right by hitters up in the zone. That amazes right. me that he can throw right. it by these fastball hitters and they're they're late because he's his crafty. changeup is so good. He is, he is crafty. I love watching him pitch. Smartest guy, smartest guy in baseball. Smartest guy in baseball. All right, so uh, did you see where Anthony Rizzo in the yeah. opener, uh, yeah. when Orlando Arcia got one of his three hits, with the only hits by the Brewers right. that day, he he walks over to him and says, hey, would you like a little hand sanitizer? Pulls it out of his back pocket and sprays it right on his hand. I thought that was hilarious. You know. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, you know, welcome to the world of COVID and everything yeah. that goes along with it. And it's good to see Rizzo kind of having a, a good sense of humor because he got hit bad on his hand in yeah. one of the earlier bats in that game. And I was like, he's going to the DL. I mean, you could hear it yeah. that, you know, it sounded like a bat hit the ball. Whenever I hear that, it's like, especially in the hand, there's so many little bones in there. But he basically rubbed dirt on it like a hockey player and said nothing and came back to hit a monster home run later in yeah. the game. Yeah. You yeah. and I, Leo, we would have been on the DL for like 60 days over that yeah. injury. Would have After bet. we got done crying. Career ending is the word yeah. I like. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to say that I finally got the marquee network. Uh, Comcast Chicago or Comcast is basically the largest cable provider for the Chicago area. And yeah. they were the one network that wasn't carrying the Cubs new network, the marquee network. And none of the exhibition games, none of their content I was able to watch until finally they flipped the switch on opening day and I was finally able to catch some of their content. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of okay with it, I guess. I mean, the broadcast isn't remarkably different from what it was when they were on WGN or Comcast Sportsnet. Um, the only thing, like, when it's not a Cubs game, you do tend to get a lot of Trump commercials. Have you noticed that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I did. I have noticed that. They um, run a lot of Trump I, see, commercials. I, because I, I've had the channel. I've had the channel, so I'm kind of nonplussed towards it. It is, it, it, I tune in it to watch Cubs games. I don't really care about any of the other stuff, you know. So well, um, they did do one interesting thing. They have this thing where they the surprise game, and I saw this when I was bartending. The yeah, game. that was great. This, and and the surprise game that they were playing was a game against the Reds at Synergy Field back in the '80s or whatever. And this was back when I was still a Reds fan, you know, in yeah. Sutton. Was, was taking on Ron Robinson, and, you know, it was just, you know, Eric Davis is batting, and John Franco is pitching in relief, and the Cubs came back and won with a late home run in in, in the uh, in the ninth inning. But uh, Surprise! It was really fun. Yeah. 
it was still that's a the, lot of, that's the surprise leo that's yeah. the mystery is that, that yeah. it, that's what i've noticed i've seen a couple of those kind of games so um we kind of got to move along but i don't i, I don't want to end the the cub seg- segment without talking about wilson Contreras we and do. the work yeah. that that he's done to improve himself as a catcher he's well, kind of cited an article there was a great article in The Athletic by Sahad Sharma, and, and the one weakness in, in Contreras' game is his ability to frame pitches, and uh, he, he needs to quiet down what it is that he does. And the one thing that I think is the most important, and I really saw this in the game the other day, uh, in, in opening day, is the way that he comes up to catch the pitches. He doesn't come, like, for example, when a pitch is coming in, he doesn't have his glove set up in the middle of the plate, and as the ball sinks... He doesn't go down to the ball to catch it. Instead, he starts with the ball with with the glove below, and as the ball comes down, he reaches up to get it. Right, and that's instrumental in I think getting those low pitches called as strikes. I really noticed that in in his start with Hendricks on opening day on Friday. So and I, it was a lot. First of all, you and I have known that he is he's had problems with this. I didn't know he was like 44th out of 48th catchers last year in baseball as far as his framing uh, capabilities to me the remarkable thing is his commitment to doing something about it yeah. like uh, the article shows that really no one outworks Wilson Contreras and Contreras what they didn't want to try to uh, tamp down on was his aggressive ability to throw it to second base and 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 the success that he's had primarily because of Javi Baez when Baez was the second baseman in throwing out runners. And so the challenge was to get him to improve his framing capability without um, uh, taking away changing, with changing his natural stance as a catcher um, too too uh, you know too aggressively or whatever too um, too significantly. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I think that if he could become the everyday catcher, which I have suspicions about now that we have a DH and, and Victor Carantini is such a great framer, by the way, Vic, yeah. Victor is one of the best in, in major league baseball. Um, so, so it, it's just great because Contreras is bad as we need to have, he needs to be the DH if he can't catch. That's what I think. Well, no, DH, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's a little strong, but it's good for the Cubs that he can do this. It's good for the pitching staff. We'll see us getting a little more. We'll see, I think, a few more called strikes, and that's a good thing. All right, so we're done with peanuts. We're done with peanuts. Yeah. I want to go right to popcorn, and you got to choose the movie this week, and you chose right. West Side Story um, and with Natalie Wood, and, and, and there's so many great things to talk about in terms of this movie, but I want to begin with what you, what you think and why you chose this movie. Yeah, so I have I, I, this is um, on my list of films. It's 46th on my list, and I give it four stars. But I tend to agree with what Ebert said that it's kind of a flawed four-star film for which I'll kind of lay out for you. Um, this movie, um, which at the time it won 10 Oscars, this was yeah. um, an extraordinary. In fact, I believe. Um, until uh, Lord of the Rings, it, it, it had won the most um, uh, best pictures, or I mean, uh, most uh, Oscar. Uh, course, yeah. Correct, correct. So it's really a retelling of the classic Romeo and Juliet uh, story um, as a musical. It yeah. first was a, a book that was turned into uh, a Broadway musical and then became adapted uh, to the screen. A lot of stuff was going on 
before the making of this film because they had issues as far as uh, a casting perspective. And the folks that ended up in the roles, Natalie Wood predominantly, was not their first choice um, for the film. And so some of the criticism in this story, and rightly so, is that Natalie Wood, who's a Russian Jewish woman, is not Puerto Rican. Right. And, 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 and basically this is a Puerto Rican against American uh, gang uh, warfare in the 50s in New York City. And so there's some criticism that they didn't really go out and get Puerto Rican actors, which, by the way, has been rectified in the, the soon to be released Steven Spielberg version, which is coming out in a couple of months. And apparently he he's the biggest fan of this film, but he wanted to, to fix that part of West Side Story, because from a music standpoint and a dancing standpoint, it's 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 movie standards. This there's no question about the dancing or the or the or the music. You, if you like musicals, this will be at one. You know, maybe it's not as great as as Singing in the Rain, but it's right up there with Singing in the Rain. So, certainly, but and the dancing is a big, big part of why this movie is so great. You know, and the, they casted dancers. You know, right. I mean, uh, they they casted actors who were also great dancers, like Rita Moreno and George Shakiris. You know who who both well, well, won Oscars. Both yes. of those folks won Oscars, and I'll make you the case that Rita Moreno steals the film. Yes. She was the most powerful um, performance, you know, yeah. performance, but her life force on the screen. If you go back and look at it, she is completely committed to the yeah. role of Anita. Um, and one of the great screen performances of all time, because quite honestly, she has to talk, sing and dance. Those are three things most people struggle with. One, if not two of those things, in my particular case, all three of those things. Uh, and so it's refreshing to see somebody that can do it as well as she did. Um, the criticism that Eber puts to the, to the fore is that this, the 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 the. Um, Screenplay is is below par. It's it's yeah. kind of weak and 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 this is a film about dancing and singing. It's not really about the script and the yeah. and the dialogue. Spielberg intends to fix that. That's another reason why he took on this pretty ambitious story. So this is a film that had two directors. Jerome Robbins basically started drinking or uh, directing the dance portion, and then they hired Robert Wise to direct the drama portion of the film. And then about four or five weeks into the shooting, Robbins was so far over budget shooting the dance sequences that they fired him. And yeah. Wise took over the full uh, direction from then on. However, the best parts of the film are what Robbins directed. Yeah. The dance sequences that he's, Robbins did. And he's given so it credit for choreography. Oh, there's no and, doubt. It's a complicated complicated story around the making of West Side Story. I think it's one of Hollywood's greatest films. Uh, well, that's what I think. The music is so unbelievably complicated. I mean, the score by Leonard Bernstein, you right. know, it's, it's just crazy difficult. You know what I mean? Yep. And there are all these unbelievable, like, rhythm signatures and things like that. And, it, and it's hard to choreograph to music that is so difficult to dance to, that isn't in 3-4 right. or 4-4 four, four time. And, and Robbins, you're right, he would just have these long rehearsals and he was so far over budget, they had to cut him loose, even though they gave him full credit, you know, at the end of the movie for his choreography. It is his choreography and, and productions to this day still use his choreography. But, but the one thing that I really wanted to talk about was the performance by George Chikiris. 
uh, yes. as, as uh, the brother of Maria. Um, and he wins an Academy Bernardo. Award. Bernardo. Bernardo. He wins an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And uh, he's a Greek American playing a Puerto Rican. But what was what was a huge surprise for me is when I looked him up on my IMDb page, he's from Norwood, Ohio. Now, Norwood, Ohio is a city contained entirely within Cincinnati. OK, it is a not a suburb. It's a I don't no, know. I, I don't know what you would even call it because it's a separate it's city. An within, inlet. It, it's an inlet. It is an inlet. Yes. And Norwood, Ohio is basically I could walk to Norwood, Ohio. I lived I lived as close to I lived as close to Norwood, Ohio as you do, Tom, to Bryn Mawr Avenue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so that's that's so I was really like surprised and delighted by that. And and Cincinnati has a long history of Greek families and Greek businesses, especially making ice cream and chili and all sorts of stuff. And his family was a big part of that. So I thought that was really cool. Now, the one and, thing- and, I, and rightly so, he was he was also phenomenal at playing Bernardo. Um, um, but, I, but it, and, and both Marino and him, when they were on the screen, it was just electrifying. Really um, so it's, they both it, could dance. They were both such great dancers and that just comes across, you know. So, so I will tell you this, before each show, I always try to watch the movie before we review it. And so this week I extended my wife. I said, hey, I'm going to watch West Side Story. And she said, I'll take a pass. Um, and then when I asked her why, and she's not a big fan of musicals, she said, you know, I can't get past the point of these badass, uh, you know, gangsters dancing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't maybe, maybe. Hey. It's 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 fiction. You know what I mean? It's fiction. It's just beautiful. She just needs to sort of go with it. But I want to know, Lucas, this is a movie. Had you seen this movie before? No, I have not. So okay. my first you time have, watching it. Oh, you haven't you didn't watch it? Okay. All right. No, no, no. I watched it. This was my first time watching it. I'm sorry. I hadn't so seen this it before. Was your first this time week. watching it. I'm curious what you thought. I mean, I, I, I me, I like musicals a lot. I'm a big music guy. I was in music, so I think that the like you guys talked about, the complexity of the score, the different type of signatures was just really mesmerizing to me. And I, I, just, I just think it was just such a great combination of choreography plus music that it, I, I loved it. It was my it was, it was one of my one of my favorite films already. <laughs> well, you, know just, that, that, go ahead. you, you go should ahead. know one thing that they had to color up Natalie Wood. Natalie Wood, just so you know, Lucas, was one of Hollywood's most beautiful women and one of one of the most beguiling actresses that ever graced the screen. But in this film, they really kind of messed her up trying to color her to be Puerto Rican. So to me, her beauty just, it just, it just looked like she was married, wearing too, way too much makeup through the whole movie. They, you know? They do that, but, but she comes across, you know what it is? Ultimately, even though her accent is terrible because she can't do a Puerto Rican accent, and even though she can't sing, she's still unbelievably captivating. So. Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. So uh, that's great that you got to see that. And it's gr uh, great to hear your perspective, because I remember the first time I saw it, which I think was an uh, interesting thing is it was released in 61. It didn't get put on television until 1971. Mm. And so when it did, I was 12 or 13 or whatever my age was. It was a major event in the U.S. over two nights. Yeah, they played. Right. And the next day at school, me and my friends were all trying to be, you know, Jets, 
you know, dancing all over the schoolyard. And it had an amazing, I'm telling you, it had an amazing impact on St. Benedict's of, of Highland Park, Michigan, way back in the day, because everybody watched it. It wasn't like today where you have 5,000 channels. When West Side Story came on, every TV in America was glued to it. And wow. so we had this, this shared reference point the next day. I'll never forget that because we all thought we were badass Jets, man. Snapping our fingers, you know, <laughs> dancing around, you know, snapping people in the head and what have you. So anyways, that that's uh, – what is our film for next week, Leo? Well, I'm glad you asked, um, you know, because, again, this is something I thought about a lot this week. There were several movies I wanted to choose. But in the end, I went with a Mel Brooks comedy. But it's not the Mel Brooks comedy I think that everybody thinks I'm going to choose. Uh, I think the one that would be obvious would be The Producers or maybe Blazing Saddles. But I'm going to go a little off the reservation. And I'm going to choose a movie that is probably less well-known. And it's called The Twelve Chairs. Um, wow. very, very funny movie with Ron Moody and Frank Langella and Dom DeLuise. You can watch it on YouTube, uninterrupted, no ads. Just go to YouTube and put the 12 chairs and you can watch the entire movie and you'll, you'll love it. This is a really, have you ever seen it, Tom? Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great choice. And I haven't seen it in probably 30 years, so I will watch it again. All right, uh, Lucas, you, your assignment, uh, should you choose to accept it, watch the 12 chairs on, on YouTube, okay? Yes, All right. All right, so until then, um, until next week, we are Two Peas in a Podcast. And, uh, and again, thanks again for joining us, Lucas. Yep. No thanks. problem. It was a good, lot of fun. I'll bang the drums slowly and play the five lows. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin. Roses to deaden the clouds as they 